Welcome to the Pious, the Pig, and the Podcast. I'm Colby Mitchell. And I'm Dave's Pig. Welcome back to the podcast where I try to teach uh, De- uh, Davis something about Catholicism, and he makes fun of me for it. Davis, how are you? We're back. We're so back. It's been so long. It has. Uh, My- and, you know, I guess our formal apology to the listeners. Yes, through, through between me, my wife, and my two kids, we've had a fever virus, a stomach virus, strep throat, pneumonia, asthma for my youngest, asthma for me, pink eye in both eyes for me, pink eye in both eyes for my wife. Uh, my kid did get pink eye for about three hours and cleared up perfectly, uh, but it took me and my wife a week and a half to get rid of it. Um so it's just we have been suffering uh the last just had a real rough go of it. it it has not been fun uh meanwhile in the midst of all that our house flooded uh on two it had another leak on the other side of the house and insurance denied both claims because why would they oh. accept them um so it's it has not been fun in the mitchell household and i've missed doing this so i'm, I'm excited to be back it's been a great okay. time to like grow in Thanksgiving for the blessings I've got, and you know, could very easily have gone the other way where I'm just going to church every day and staring at the crucifix, going, "God, why are you doing this to us?" But it's it's been great for us growing together as a family, growing closer in our faith, and you know, you, uh, we had to make a choice to do that rather than just pout about our situation or whatever. So it, that's it's a fair good. point. Yeah. And, and so, so all that to say, you know, what I'm hearing is that this delay between our this podcast and our most recent one is not my fault at all. It is not Davis's fault. Yeah, it's all on Colby. Yeah, Davis is a childless man. Uh, you know, doesn't have too much going on, so he has less opportunities to get sick. Exactly. So. I'm very boring. Yes. So, uh, he, be, he works yeah. from home, so he, he never leaves his house. He's just a little recluse, so, you know. See, you say recluse. I hear content machine. <laughs> I hear uh, terminally online. Oh, God. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that a fun new phrase? <laughs> yeah, no. I'm hip. I'm, I'm, I've got the internet lingo. I mean, I will, I will say the newest Call of Duty came out like a week and a half ago, and that is what I have been doing pretty, pretty nice. exclusively. But again, don't have kids, so I definitely can spend literal hours a day playing video games. My kids have gotten old enough, at least I'm deeming them old enough, for SpongeBob, so we've been watching SpongeBob every night. It's been fantastic. It is still hilarious. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize it had an age floor. Well, I mean... To find it, I didn't want to give it to them too early where they're just like, I don't get it, and they just dismiss it completely. They needed to be able to appreciate a little bit of the humor in it, mm-hmm. and they they are eating it up. They love it. But in the midst of it, because Paramount Plus does uh, commercials, they're advertising the new Sonic uh, the Hedgehog game, and just I'm being built back up of joy of remembering playing Sonic as a kid, and I'm, I'm like, I gotta get that game. Did you see the Sonic movie? Like, as a kid, I, and I, I'm blanking on the name of it. It, it obviously, was I didn't see any but, of the Sonic movies. Okay, well, the, there is a Sonic movie from when we were a kid. And I want to say it. I want to say it's on YouTube now, like the whole thing. But uh, it's one of those things you look back and you're like, oh, I, you know, I didn't pick up on the adult themes or whatever in this movie. No, 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 no. Son, this Sonic movie is. Straight up traumatizing. I remember it as a kid, and I was like, I went back, and I was like, oh, okay, let me check this out. It, it wasn't, it can't be as dark as I remember it. It straight up is. It's like where Dr. Robotnik, um, like, he, he creates a metal Sonic, and it's not like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to go defeat Sonic kind of thing. No, 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 no. He makes this robot to straight up kill him. And it it ends by, by uh, like, Sonic tossing this metal Sonic into lava, and it like has a little death scene. It's ah, like as it melts <laughs> into lava because it's sentient. It is the darkest shit I have ever seen, and I can't believe they released it as a kids' movie. I had it on VHS. <laughs> uh, 
I've been like trying to figure out what the right level of teaching, you know, a three and four year old about life and death and all that has been recently because I I was showing, I forgot what I was showing Kaylee. So we were talking about some, some of the saints or something like that. And, or maybe we were talking about St. Ignatius again, being like, yeah, he was eaten by lions in the Colosseum. And you're like, you know, what is this going to traumatize you, kid? But I, I feel like if you're growing up Catholic and you are just around this stuff all the time, you're not really as phased by martyrdom, I guess, as long as it's presented in an appropriate way. And you don't Maybe. really understand death yet either, so that doesn't really get to you yet. So I, I'm just like, okay, wait a minute. What stories are appropriate of the saints to share and which ones are not appropriate to share? I don't, I don't necessarily... I don't think I really understood as a kid. I don't know the, the gravity of the situation. Like I had no the no historical frame of reference for like what a martyr is, and you know, and also like you know, even as a kid and growing up young. I mean, you also don't have a real wide, uh, I guess, a frame of reference for like what is pain and torture. Right. Like now as an adult. I am familiar with the intricate details of, like, what it's like to die via crucifixion. You know, plot twist, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, one of the worst, one of the, uh, one of the worst, or baddest? What's the word? It's not a good way to go. It's, Horrific. It's one of the bad ones. Horrific? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's not a good way to go. And it's like, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. And, uh, yeah. No, no, no. Um, he, he was nailed there. Like... <laughs> Well, uh, my kids are kind of grasping that too because my youngest one, will he he can't sit still in mass. So after about twenty minutes, we're back in the uh, narthex area where statues are and everything like that. And his favorite thing to do is to go up to the statue of Jesus, and it's like him post resurrection. So he's got wounds in his hands and on his feet, and he just loves touching the wounds and being like. There was a nail through his his hands, and he loves us so much. He did that. He's got boo boos and stuff like that. Like he gets, he understands pain, he understands wounds, but I mean the gravity of that is going to be lost on. Yeah, I mean, and it's like not yeah, only children, and, but most some adults too. Yeah, and I mean coming up, I, I mean I don't really think there were any like nothing pops to mind where I was like traumatized by you know Sunday school. Um, or any of the teachings necessarily. So I mean, I imagine you're fine. I mean, yeah, I think I think that's ha- part I mean, of growing I'd be happy to teach. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just that uh, you're numb to it really early. Yeah, you're going to mass yeah. and you're seeing a dude hanging, you know, dead on a cross every week at mass. You know, that's you know, it's just part of life. And yeah, kids, it's kind of macabre to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> and kids, they have you know strong faith. Where they, you know, because they haven't learned questioning and doubts and all that yet. So they, when they think of death too, they have the rightly ordered view of, okay, that person is just in heaven now where it's awesome. So that's how they got there or whatever. So, you know, us, it treat, you know, might be facing a life or death situation. You're like, oh, is it real? I hope it's real. I don't know. So many things going through your mind right there. Whereas kids are just like, yeah, that's what happens. You go to heaven. Mm, yeah, well, I uh, I envy the young. Just the thought of you know, so innocent. Yeah. The thought of just having everything be so binary and so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a, here's a <laughs> life gets though. harder, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot harder for all the kids listening to this podcast. Um, where are your parents? Why Why are they Why are they letting you listen to to Davis? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I have no intention on cleaning up my vo- my uh, vocabulary, but I'm, here's a fun fact, and I'm sure you know that. But like, all of the depictions of Jesus with the uh, scars in the middle of his palms are not correct. Yeah, because they're on his wrist, right? No, so so like, yeah, anything with like in the middle of the palm is not correct because you know if you put a nail there and hang someone on it, it's just gonna rip out between your fingers. Yeah. Uh, so what they did was like, so if you take your thumb and your pinky and you touch them, uh, that little, little kind of divot they create right there at the base of your thumb, right there at the bottom of your palm, mm-hmm. that's where they run the nail through. Cause there's a Ooh. bunch of little bone. There's a bunch of little bones there 
that'll that'll help lock that nail in place. Also, there's a bunch of ner- like nerves that yeah. run right through there. So, so is it all on like bad. your hand, or is, it's not below your? It's not on your wrist, no, right? It's, yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's right above like where you would wear a watch. It is if you touch that thumb and that pinky together, it's uh, right there, kind of at the base of where your the meat of your thumb is. Yeah, yeah. Which so, is way yeah, worse. Yeah. Oh yeah, and also it's an inch also, below and way worse. Yeah, and also everyone thinks of nails like you know the modern nails. Uh, well, they couldn't make like because each in the past you had to make nails, you had to like hammer them out. You couldn't just yeah. pop them out at Home Depot. So they weren't round; they were actually like little uh, little wedges. Yeah. Uh, because you could hammer them flat, but they they actually hold uh, wood better in some applications. But essentially, it was a flat bar of steel. With a point on it, like yeah. a big long triangle that they nailed in. So like, yeah, and not, a, not the, a point that's like a needle that's just gonna slide right in. Oh, no. it's a, oh, oh, it's not gonna be surgical. No, it is. It is uh, put in there by force. And so those are the details that kids aren't aware of. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> as a kid in our little parish, thirty people in Louisville. They had uh, one Lent. They had a actual crown of thorns with those thorns that are like three inches long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had, and they had actual nails, like the same type that would have been. And I, I remember I was probably not a kid kid. I was at least 12, but I was looking at that just thinking, oh my gosh, this is way worse than I could have imagined it to this yeah. point. Yeah. I've always worried about the nails so much more like the, than the thorns, the crown of thorns never has really like, I don't know, given me the ooky spookies, uh, the crown of thorns why. doesn't give me the 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 ooky spookies as much as the uh, thinking about carrying that cross after being flogged at the pillar, and and that uh, the Passion of the Christ movie like really put that part into perspective. I hadn't thought of that before. Where have you seen Passion of the Christ before? Of course, I'm Catholic. Okay. We probably had a lock-in or something where we watched it or something like that. But that that scene, I was just sitting there like, I, I, I had not thought about, okay, dude's already got no back and has to carry this giant cross, all, you know, just hitting yeah. all of those wounds all the way up. And I'm just sitting there. That That's always gotten me worse. Whenever I'm praying the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary, That that's always the one that just kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Reflecting. Not big on... Yeah, not big on whipping either. We need to do a whole thing on like d- the life of Jesus. Uh, y- you can do the official ones, and I can do the unofficial. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So, so what are we talking about today, Colby? So we we got now that we have thirteen we, minutes on on your kids and, <laughs> and crucifixion. The important stuff. Uh-huh. So we were we were talking about the sacraments, and we were walking through them, and we were doing the. Uh, sacraments of initiation but we didn't get on the eucharist so i thought today we'd harp solely on the eucharist before jumping back into the rest of the sacraments because there's just so much to unload with the eucharist so you're telling me this is going to be a three-parter yeah at least yes oh man so so we just like hopped past like oh you know stepping into this podcast game like we hopped past like oh we're just going to do a two-parter see how it goes no we're going to go at least three, okay. At least three. I like to keep them on their toes too. I, you know, if if you weren't paying attention to the last one, well, you missed out. Uh, but the the Eucharist is just such a big thing that happens in our lives and and happens to us that it deserves its own podcast because it's also one of the questions that most people have trouble figuring out. Yeah. Whether yeah, you're Protestant or Catholic, there's a lot of Catholics, you know, whether they go to Mass or not go to Mass, there's still Catholics that don't necessarily believe in the full presence of the Eucharist. And part of that's poor catechesis um, or just lack of oh. reflection on it as well. Now, what is, what is catechesis? Catechesis is what you're what is happening to you now, being taught the faith. There uh, we go. So this is going to hopefully clear up some of those things. And if you're at a point, too, where you're like, yeah, I don't fully buy into the, the Eucharist being Jesus' body and blood for real at Mass. Literally. Literally. Literal, literally in the correct use of the term. Yes. Um, and 
don't don't think, oh, shoot, I can't be Catholic anymore because I don't believe that. Well, there's a lot of Catholics who don't believe that right now. But what you need to do is pray about it, reflect on it, and and dive into it even deeper than what we're going to go into here because, again, this is always the high-level stuff. Uh, but, but this is what is considered the source and summit of the Catholic faith. Uh, that is... Everything that we do in life revolves around the Eucharist. All of our weeks are started on Sundays with that being the first thing that we do is go to Mass. Uh, we orient our actions and our, our study and our faith and our prayers towards making sure that we are in a state in which we can receive that Eucharist because it's what gives us life. We are literally being fed you know, our, our faith, we are being fed with the fullness of the truth through the Eucharist. Mm. Fed with the fullness of the truth. That sounds like, that sounds like a lyric from like a really bad Christian band. Oh, where, oh, that, that Christian music is going to have to be another one, one day. But uh, it, it, that'd be a three minute podcast. Like it's generally terrible. Like it's moving sucks. on. It, that that's that might be one of the uh, the short short episodes that we put out to to satiate you mainly yeah. your sister in these times whenever Colby is sick and can't come to the pod. Exactly. There there is a plan. There's a not a succession plan. There's a plan. Colby and I are gonna like put together some short little <laughs> minisodes to get you uh, your 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 content, get you your Janice. Fix. Get you your fix. <laughs> Okay, so so to be able to receive the Eucharist, and, and the Eucharist, for anybody who doesn't know, it's it's the the bread and the wine that becomes Jesus's body and blood at Mass. It's it the cracker. Is the cracker and the the not grape juice, but the Baptists swear that it was grape juice. Uh, mm-hmm. The the bread and the wine that is consecrated, which means it is transformed into. Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity. That it is literally, uh, in in every sense, that is Jesus's body and blood. And not Jesus's divinity, like the like the little confectionery thing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No. no. An- another staple at a Baptist church. Is it? Every time I'm with my extended Baptist family, they have divinity. It's very good. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like I've only ever had it twice in my life. I didn't know that was like a thing. This is a thing around the Baptist. Maybe you just need to hang out more Baptist. Or the Baptist year around. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 to be able to receive the Eucharist, you have to have been baptized already. Got to have a mouth. Start off early. Do have to have a mouth. That yep. is a core, core requirement. Uh, we're not going to inject it into your veins. Uh, and you also have to be uh, it, in good standing with the church, so no mortal sins on your soul, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, and it's also good to have been confirmed so that you're bonded more deeply into Christ and into his community as well. Uh, See our previous podcast for an explanation of those things. Yeah, so... so it's not a requirement that you're confirmed before you receive your first communion, but it's good to do. So kids, we, I, you know, that's another topic we'll probably get into when we get into the, confer, uh, into, you know, deeper into confirmation one day. Uh, but some rites, they'll come confirm you at the same time as baptism. Uh, but generally in America, you're confirmed at age somewhere between 14 and 18. You get your first communion when you're in, second grade at the age seven. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're going to come into the church through RCIA, you're going to convert into the Catholic faith. We're going to confirm you before we give you the Eucharist. That's uh, how the order of the mass goes, because we want you to have that sacrament so you can really fully be part of the community that receives the Eucharist. Got to do the work before you get the treat. Right. So, uh, and it's also, you know, wants to instill those good graces. It's like putting the the right robes on you and everything, so that you're dressed and appropriate and ready. Oh, to oh yeah, no, I no, I know the I know the background uh, requirement. Oh, I'm just simplifying it. I mean, that's essentially what it is. You got to yeah. go to class uh, so you can take the test. Yeah. 
So every sacrament that we have is also oriented toward the Eucharist. So you get your baptism so that you can partake in the Eucharist. And I'm also going to use the word communion as well. That's an interchangeable term. Well, the Eucharist is the, the body and blood itself. It's a physical thing. Right. Communion is taking part in eating and drinking the body and blood. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll, you know, I trip you up using those interchangeably. Forgive me there, but all sacraments are bound to the Eucharist and are orienting you toward the Eucharist itself. So baptism, it's so that you can be wiped clean, have a clean soul, and be part of the Christian community so that you can receive it. Confirmation to confirm that you are part of this community and give you those special graces uh, to lead you closer to Christ and give you that uh, you know, bond with the community. Uh, oh man, I'm going to have to go through the seven sacraments in my head again. We've got uh, reconciliation and confession to cl- clean your mortal soul before you receive the Eucharist. We have holy orders where you are ordained a priest, so the priest can actually bring the Eucharist to you. Uh, sacrament of marriage is to build you up and build you closer to Christ, uh, which also centers around Mass on Sundays. Uh, anointing of the sick, or last rites, as it was known before, you receive the Eucharist as part of that as well. What's number seven? Washing the feet? Nope. Baptism, confirmation, reconciliation, marriage, holy orders, Eucharist. Marriage, holy orders, Eucharist. Um... Last rites. Oh, oh, oh no, I got them. All. The last one was Eucharist, <laughs> mass. Oh, perfect. Mass. Yeah, yeah the Eucharist go. itself. Um, so in in that Eucharist, it also contains the whole spiritual good of the church, which is Christ Himself. So the reason we're Christians is because we follow Christ, and that Eucharist contains Christ in it. Mm-hmm. It now now are are you going to get into origin of why that is? Why Catholics believe that so uh, vociferously? Yes, yes, yes. We're gonna we're okay, gonna okay, gotcha. Get into that. I just want to give a good basis for you know what it is in the church as well, and okay. why it's so important to to Catholics. It's it is something that is the culmination both of God's action sanctifying the world in Christ, and it's also how we worship Christ. It's how we offer what we can to God, which what we can offer is Christ himself. You know, without him, there's nothing that we really have that is worthy to offer God. Mm-hmm. So it is it is both God's gift to us that he is sanctifying us through, and it's also our offering to God to say, you know, here here is what we can give you that is worthy of you. St. Irenaeus had a quote. He said, Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist in turn confirms our way of thinking. That one I thought you might have fun with, because it is a... It's not a great quote for somebody who's not of the faith to be like, oh, so you eat it, and it, and you, you believe in it more, but you believe in it more because you eat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I immediately went to St. Irenaeus. Well... Like, I mean, that's a name I'd never heard of before, and that kind of distracted me to oh. uh, most of what you were saying behind it. Yeah, early church father, but but you'll have to you'll have to give us a quip on him. But but it, that is one of the things that is is true is and and why I want people if you don't believe in the real real presence of the Eucharist of Christ in the Eucharist is to study it, partake in it, be part of the communion, because it is one of those things of you've got to do it to really figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. you're not gonna you're not going to get that divine revelation just thinking about the Eucharist. It's something that you have to partake in and be part of as well. And let if God you're qualified. Right. And let God reveal that to you. Any questions okay. on that? All good there with me still? Yep. Yep. Okay. And uh, and uh, it also might be just because I'm used to most of this, but uh, but yeah, no, I I think it's uh, 
pretty pretty well boiled down. And essentially, it's like, yeah, Catholics, in short, believe that the Eucharist is the actual body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it is essentially the cracker and the wine being the blood that uh, we are so famous for. Yeah. Yeah. But it's actually like, you know, we, we jo- you joke about like, oh, the cracker. But uh, but little do you know to I think most folks who to make that joke, uh, but like it actually is a it is the central tenet of like what Catholics believe is the what's the word the act the, the actual bodiness of uh, yeah I mean of it, the it's, Eucharist yeah it's the centrality of our faith yeah it, yeah, it is no, it's what, actually a, a gigantic part one would say most of it yeah. Because there's not the only other, not even, not religion, but other, uh, I don't even want to say denomination because it's, it's its own thing, but the only other, only other church that has the real presence of the Eucharist is the Orthodox Church. So it's mm-hmm. the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. So, and we don't have that many Orthodox here in the United States, so... Pretty much, if you're going to find the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, you got the Catholic Church here in America. Same. Yeah, the only thing I, I, I that pops to mind that I can compare it to, um, and it's not it's not 100 related, but it's uh it's kind of similar to how Islam is with uh, the Quran. Um, the Quran, like I don't even think it I don't think it was translated into English until or translated at all until like very recently, as in you know, a few decades ago, um, because the Quran is, 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 uh, in Islam literally is the word of God. So if you change it from the original Arabic, you are changing the word of God, like, and any sort of change from that. And there's even competitions on like how it is actually supposed to be spoken because it is the, Mm. the words of God. And so, it's just that it's a very, uh, it's a central tenet to that. Like it is, that is a big part of that faith, and it's kind of the same for the Catholic, for the Catholic right. as well. Like it is a central tenet. Um, yeah, and it is, that is that. literally God. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. and yeah. you can't change it. You can't uh, use leavened bread. You can't use grape juice. You can't use a crouton. It has to be very specific form and matter very yeah. specific way of saying the prayers to make sure otherwise it's not of God and it is not God. So yeah, well, I, I really reached out there for, for an analogy and I think I found one. Oh uh, yeah. You hit it on the, the ham, uh, hammer on the nail. If, uh, you know, assuming that you, you know, you're Islam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that is a, uh, I'm not going to say I do. Uh, I generally <laughs> about it. I definitely took one class in college on Islam, I still have the textbook, but uh, yeah, at least I wasn't educated by Facebook on it. Yes, good, good for you. Yeah. yeah. So the 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 Eucharist is part of the economy of salvation, and we talked a little bit about that as well. Of exactly in the currency of salvation. Correct. It is Boom. the got it. it. It's, got it. It's there, it's there's the, my jab. It is what is one of the things that is required for us to be Christians and to be common to communion with with God and His Church. You have the bread, bread and wine. All right, we're back. Uh, my computer decided to restart on me at that exact moment. It's amateur hour over here. I'm rusty after a month. Mm-hmm. And. If you if you don't want to hear this interruption in the podcast, I mean, anyone has a uh, a computer that they would let Colby have, please. My computer reach out. is pretty good. I think I have a good computer. Apparently just, not. And I'm not very good at working technology. Is so that, is that from when you had kids? Like is that just like a given? Thing I guess that so. Because literally, the only since thing you're I've good had at kids. is like hooking up an HDMI cable. <laughs> Like in adjusting Ugh. the audio settings of your TV. I uh I work for my dad, and I part of the leadership team is me and people who are also his age, which means I'm the tech guy. You're on an absolute the, god when it comes to to. Anything. I am, but they get frustrated when I can't do something, and I'm sitting there going, "Y'all, 
I don't know what I'm doing. I just know a little more than you do. <laughs> so it, you know, it depends on your, your, where you're at. But here I'm not the tech god. I am terrible at it. No. But He just leans so heavy on me to cut together all this audio that he just slaps together. Thank goodness. Because whenever I was putting up my uh, talks, my apologetics talks during Lent, uh, I just... All right, well, that was the recording. There's me mumbling at the end, but got to put that one up because I have no clue how to crop it or whatever. So so <laughs> if you're beautiful. ever wondering what my role is on this podcast, I'm the reason that you get to listen to the podcast. Yes. Yeah. If Davis leaves, it's all over. Honestly, it's not. He definitely <laughs> has. You definitely have the, the more radio-friendly voice between the two of us. Uh, the, the, the pious... And the podcast uh, would not survive very long. It really doesn't have the same punch. (laughs) And then our logo wouldn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) It would just be the the little halo without the pig there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. So we were talking about the Eucharist is part of the economy of salvation. So we've got the bread and wine. That is the heart of the Eucharistic celebration. So at Mass, that's it all builds up to that. And by the words of Christ and the invocation of the Holy Spirit... During the Mass, using Christ's words and calling down the Holy Spirit, that is how the bread and wine becomes Christ's body and blood. And, and, and the priest calls is the person that does that. Yes, the priest is doing that in persona Christi, which just means he is in the person of Christ at that moment. Mm-hmm. So that is, he is ordained to be Christ in that moment, bringing down... Uh, yeah, the word the you're looking for wine. is channeling. It's not channeling. Oh, it's oh. channeling's just so uh, demonic as a thought okay. process. Okay. Um, but it, it, it's not channeling. It's not like he's calling the spirits beyond. It's no, he's been ordained and has the marks on his soul to be Christ in that moment. It's more, it, it's, it's even more their representation, like being a representative that is allowed to uh, make a vote, like a proxy vote for, you know, whoever. He's a proxy. That's better. Okay. Yeah, and it's still not a perfect analogy it. because it is something that is spiritual. And again, the Eucharist is something that's going to per- surpass our human understanding as well. That's just part of it. That's part of having faith. Uh, and we would not know this without this being a revelation to us from Christ himself. That mm-hmm. is something that was given to us as a gift. Um, but it, it, can, it it's a continuation of, of creation in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant as well. During part of the words of consecration, he says, fruit of the earth and, and uh, fruit of the vine, these are gifts of the Creator to us that, we are able to offer to him as, as gifts as well. And as a everything's sa- connected. And I want to make a quick side note. Um, something that I kind of, uh, that I appreciate about Catholicism, and I want to say this before uh, I forget it, um, but something I appreciate about Catholicism is that, like, in doing this, you and I rarely, um, or you rarely, like, say, like, well, you know, it's beyond our understanding. There, are, I mean, there have been several times, like, just because of the topics we handle, but uh, it's kind of the nice thing about Catholicism to the to the extent that it, maybe it's been around a long time and a lot of folks have thought about it. But like, there is not a whole lot of stuff that we say. Well, you know, it's beyond human understanding. There are generally like pretty good explanations for like why, say, this belief mm-hmm. is this way or why we do things this way. Because like, yeah, no, I feel like a like. It's, it would be really easy to dismiss as like as a, a belief system if you say like oh you know it's beyond it's beyond you like to yeah. uh, to a lot of things but I feel like we pretty rarely say it and I don't think that's really something that's appreciated yeah well it is it's one of those things too is our human minds can't grasp how awesome in the in the literal sense yeah like literal the actual sense. definition of the word right. awesome. Like uh, that our faith is and and God is uh where you know we can we can walk it up like I mean we're having a whole podcast on the Eucharist it's 
but there is part where faith comes in to understand, hey, this becomes Christ. But like St. Thomas Aquinas is one of the greatest theologians and thinkers of all of history. He had a, so he was writing his Summa Theologica, which is his summary of theology. Um, And it's considered one of the greatest works of theology ever written. And he had a a vision of God and, and God kind of gave him a glimpse and a taste of what heaven is. And this, what is the greatest work of theology we've ever had? He stopped writing it and he and and they were like, you've got to finish this. And he goes, nope, it is shit compared to what I've seen. I believe the word he used was dung is what it was translated mm. to. But he was like, it is, this is literally dung compared to the glory that I've seen. And everybody's just like, this is the best thing we've got. You've got to keep going. But he's maybe like, no. that's why George R. R. Martin hasn't finished his books. There you go. He has just seen <laughs> the other side and he's just like, no, nah, I'm done with this. Y'all butchered yeah. my TV show. I'm not, I'm not going to finish out this book. Thomas Aquinas was just sitting there and it, it'd be like, you grasp the intricacies of rocket engineering and now that you've already done that, you got the glimpse of it, and now it looks like two plus two on a page to you. You're like, this doesn't even compare to what is is true. But but God gives us enough grace and enough revelation to actually understand, you know, a little bit of what's happening. Because the Eucharist is a taste of heaven. That is part of heaven because it is Christ. And part of heaven is complete encompassing of God and goodness and all things mm-hmm. that kind are of, him. Kind of funny you use the word taste of heaven, given that it is something we eat. Pun so intended. If it's a, yeah, no, if it's a taste of heaven and yeah, heaven's just like a full on like buffet of Jesus. <laughs> that we can feel with our, with everything. We can taste with everything. I call the ribs. um well and 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 that's another thing too is is with the sacraments they all have a sensational part to them like you can feel it you can smell it you can taste it you know the mass in the the highest form of the mass when you've got the incense going and you've got the lights on and you've got uh candles burning you know you you were inundated with all of your senses in the mass you're able to feel it and smell it and hear it and taste it all throughout that because because that's how god you know god gave us senses so we could interact with him and with his creation you know he's not gonna not touch us through our senses i guess interesting way to put that yeah i guess that makes sense Join us in uh, episode uh, 106 where we go through the senses <laughs> and what they mean for God. Yeah. So it, it, it does recall the Old Covenant uh, where bread and wine were offered in sacrifice among the first fruits of the earth as a sign of gratitude to the Creator. So it's... That's hey, when they, they, like, they got rid of the first, like, the first and the best of the harvest as, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So that this was the offering to God. The new significance with the unleavened bread is that, you know, Israel ate the Passover and still eats the Passover every single year. Uh, so that, that is something that calls back to the Old Covenant as well. It also represents manna, the life-giving bread that, that Christ gives us when we are wandering in the desert, whether it be a you know, desertion in our soul, whatever it might be, Christ will always be there to feed you. And then the cup of blessing at the end of Passover adds to the festive joy of the celebration. So it's the the wine that is brought out at the end of Passover to say, hey, this is a joyful occasion. You know, it all connects back to the old covenant. It builds off of that. Mm-hmm. So we're, and, and we do this, you can get the Eucharist every single day, but you, you are required to go every Sunday. You're required to go every Sunday because it's the first day of the week. We're called to break bread on the first day of the week because it's the anniversary of Jesus' resurrection. That's what we're recalling then. Um, And you can encounter this in every parish on every Sunday for the last 2,000 years with the same fundamental structure to it. So this is something that we've been doing since Christ 
lifted up the bread and the wine at the Last Supper. It has always been central to the church's life, and it will be until Christ comes again. You so, will find Mass. So is, it, is this where you tell us where that origin is from? Yes. And so I, the can't, first, I, keep, I keep leading off into this. Like, cause I know, right. I know you're going to get into it, but I know it's a big part of it, but I keep no, no, spoiling that, your reveal. Th- no, that's, that's perfectly fine. So in the gospels, Jesus was celebrating the last supper with his apostles. This was the last time he would have uh, a meal with his apostles. He was about to, after the meal, go to the garden of Gethsemane and pray and wait for Judas to come portray him and then be crucified. As portrayed, you know, the Last Supper as portrayed in the Da Vinci Code. Uh, Correct. A movie That's based right. on the a novel by Dan Brown. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually a code. Yes. Um, so the, the Last Supper, they all gathered into a room. They got on one side of the table, all 12 yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. Table for 24. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and Jesus... Uh, Took took his took the unleavened bread because it was the Passover celebration is what what they were were doing, part of the the rituals and rites that they were were doing as as Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And, and as everyone knows, the unleavened bread is bread without lev. Yes, without lev. Mm-hmm. Very very flat. Yes. Um, and he held up the bread and he said, "Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body, which will be given up for you." And then bells rang. <laughs> yeah. um, and then and then there he did the same with the cup. He took the cup and said, take all of you and drink from this. This is my blood, which will be poured out for you. Do this in memory of me. And that was the first Eucharist. Now, when we have Eucharist at Mass today, it's not a re-sacrifice of Jesus. It is the same, and this is where it gets all meta, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because it'll make my brain hurt too. So then but he's not, about to get into like the concept of uh, what is called uh, transubstantiation. Yes. So transubstantiation is, yeah. is, it's not a re-sacrifice. It's not a redoing of the, the body and blood, uh, bread and wine becoming the body and blood. It is the same eucharist celebration that jesus was having with his apostles that transcends time it transcends space it is it is the same when he lifts up that host that cracker it is the same becomes the same body and blood that jesus was holding up then too. yeah and the concept of transubstantiation is also uh from that i mean it, it's hadn't been really explained but essentially uh use the latin roots of the word trans meaning like cross uh, and then substance, substantive substance. It's changing substance across. It's phasing into a different type of substance. So that's what he's meaning there. Yes, yes, yes. And that that's, you know, one of the things that make it makes it such a miracle. While even even if it's a priest that's not doing a very good job and just kind of like lazily up there doing it, it's still a miraculous thing that is happening is that you're sitting right there in front of front of christ at the last supper mm-hmm. and that was one thing and, and one thing that I always go back to and I, I didn't write it down so i don't remember where exactly in the gospels it was but jesus was was teaching uh the people and he he said unless you eat this bread eat the the eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no life in you and the people who had been following to following him to that point said, who can accept this teaching? And they left. They went away. They were like, that's ridiculous. We're not going to eat him and drink his blood. Uh, and, you know, turned around to his apostles after that, after some of the crowd had left and said, do you want to leave too? And his apostles said, Christ, where, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I stay Catholic is because... You know, not because Mass is the most entertaining church service there is, not because our, our bishops and cardinals are just the greatest in the world, because the newsflash, especially if you've been following recently, they're not. They are terrible for the most part. Uh, 
you know, that I don't stay Catholic because of men on earth and because of the, the systems we've got. I stay Catholic because it has the truth. It has Christ in the Eucharist, and there's nothing more important than that. Mm-hmm. So that that's really the miracle that we're seeing uh, every single Sunday whenever we, we show up to Mass. And I'll I'll last thing I want to kind of touch on is people have a hard time grasping how we're connected with the early church, even though it is the same continuous church. Uh, but we see the Eucharist being celebrated in the Acts of the Apostles. We had St. Paul breaking bread everywhere he went. What he was doing was saying the Mass and and giving the people Christ's body and blood, soul, and divinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 15, uh, 155 AD, there was St. Justin Martyr, is his name. Uh, he gave us the basic lines of the Eucharistic celebration that we are still that are still the same today thanks to a letter that he was writing to uh, Antonius, Antoninus Pius. He was the pagan emperor. Uh, And he was trying to explain kind of what Christians did, what made them Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to just read what he said. So this was St. Justin. He said, On the day that we call Day of the Sun... All who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as much time as as much as time permits. When the reader is finished, he who presides over those gathered admonishes admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. Then we are all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for all others wherever they may be so that we may be found righteous by our life and actions and faithful to the commandments, so as to obtain eternal salvation. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss. Then someone brings bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for a considerable time, he gives thanks that he, we have been judged worthy of these gifts. When he has concluded the prayers of thanksgiving, all present give voice to an acclamation by saying, Amen. When he who presides has given thanks and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the Eucharistic bread, wine, and water to take them to those who are absent. So it has those parts of even in 155 where they were reading the scriptures, they were reading the prophets, they were reading the 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 apostles, they had the liturgy of the the Eucharist. They had the prayers. They had the the Our Father. They had yeah, holy uh, shit. The pr- prayers for everybody around them. They all had that one single act of worship. They said the creed, and it's the exact same meal that Jesus had with the apostles. That was what they were doing. It. They had the gathering, struck liturgy of the word, presentation of the offering, uh, the. Uh, Eucharistic prayer with the preface, the appeal to the Holy Spirit, the institution narrative, the recalling of Christ's passion, the intercessions for those that are with them and not with them, and and then communion. And that's, you know, all of that that we are doing today, the Christians were doing in the year 155. Before there were any schismatics or anything, there was no Protestant church, there was no Orthodox church. People were gathering together in celebration of the Eucharist, and it has the same structure today. Yeah. So you're still doing what St. Justin Martyr was doing, what St. Paul was doing, what St. Peter was doing. Yeah, you know, it's like that, the, the capital T, capital C, the church. These were the Christians, and this is what this is what made a Christian a Christian, is they partook in this celebration. When they said, when the emperor was saying, hey, what are, what's this Christian thing about? This is what made you a Christian. Is what Saint, but according to Saint Justin Martyr, I mean the only the only real difference I uh, I notice. I mean, so uh, they kiss, huh? Well, we have the sign of peace. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's a handshake now. But I mean, if we're gonna be really accurate, we gotta start kissing the homies. <laughs> well, if you look around at the old people in my parish, they're all mwah mwah mwah. It's very uh. Or very go Italian. To a, yeah, go to a very Italian parish. This is a. I go to a German parish, but they're still very. Uh, mm-hmm. 
in oh, tune with it. Oh, I was going to make the joke earlier. It's like, you know, about how, how much of the early church, uh, you know, centered around, like, food and drink. Like, almost like it really had it got its legs in Italy. Like, <laughs> Thank goodness. But that that is, uh, you know, that's the Eucharist. It is something that uh, unifies us in heaven. It gives us those heavenly blessings. Um, and it it is something that is a mystery that we have to unfold and, and have the beauty of being able to partake in. St. Ignatius of Antioch, he said, Every time it is celebrated, the work of our salvation is carried on. It's the medicine of immortality, the antidote for death, and the food that makes us live forever in Jesus Christ. So if you haven't been to Mass in a while, go get you some of that that antidote to death, that medicine of immortality. Yeah, good quote to end that on. But, uh, all right, well, I I think today is going to be like the first time that my the, my segment has absolutely nothing to do with with uh, your portion of the episode. <laughs> uh, so today I want to talk to you about Pope Sixtus Sixtus the Fifth, and I'm gonna mess that up several times. Pope Fifthus the Sixth? Yeah, no, right. Yeah. Okay. Sixtus the Fifth. Uh, he is not a saint. He is not even a. Uh, I mean, he he also wasn't a pope for very long. However, Uh-oh. well, I mean, it's just you know, he was just old. Okay. Like, I, yeah. No, it, he wasn't assassinated. Sorry to uh, like really kind of bury the lead there. Or, oh no, yeah. I thought it was it was he was physically removed. I'm wondering if this is yeah. going to be a good pope or a bad pope. No. So uh, so I gather you haven't heard of him, but I have not. You are familiar with his works. Uh, he's not a martyr. He's not a saint. Uh, I just found him very interesting. Guess what? This is the portion of the podcast where I talk about things that are uh, weird and interesting to me in Catholic history. Uh, and this is straight up exactly what I'm talking about. Is Pope Sixtus V. So, but on the front end, uh, like I said, he's not really a saint. Not a not a martyr, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy on that end. But uh, I want to talk about him because his papacy and his life are an absolute roller coaster of a read. Like, the, his papacy only lasted five years, but he did a lot of awesome and horrible shit in that five years. <laughs> like, so it started off. He was born in uh, uh, 1521 as a uh, Felice Pierget. Pierre Gentile, um, which is essentially Felix. Um, but he lived much of his early life in Gratamare in the Papal States, which is, you know, modern-day Italy. Uh, at nine years old, he joined his uncle at a Franciscan convent, uh, which kind of threw me for a loop because it, while I technically know con- convent also includes, like, monks, I just associate them with nuns. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, over the years, he, uh, he studied theology. He eventually became a deacon and was ordained, um, and he moved around between various Franciscan convents. Uh, and there's not really a whole lot on his, like the front end of his life. Essentially, he was just a Franciscan monk that moved around, uh, and did some stuff, but he eventually caught the eye of three cardinals, um, two of which who would eventually become popes, uh, those popes being Pius V and Paul IV, uh, mm. which is relevant to later on. Uh, they saw him, thought he was great, uh, and so they sent him to Venice uh, to be the Inquisitor General of the Venetian Holy Inquisition. Nice. Uh-huh. But the Venetian government then asked him to be recalled because he was so severe. So, so there's going to be a lot in this. There's going to be a lot of, like, Davis says a thing, and then, but, yeah. There, the, it, it does make sense why the Protestant Reformation happened. Oh, because if, if you meet, if you know priests, and, and my pastor, he says as much too, they're not 
you typically you want the best person in the job, right? No yeah, matter what. No shit. That's that's most jobs. Right. Priests are not the best at much. They okay, are. Is this Colby's hot take of the episode? Yes, this is my hot take of the episode. Many priests are not the best homilist. They're not the best uh, prayers. They're not. They're. They are. Thank God for them that they said yes to him to try to get better every day. But you just get at that time in the church, you just got stuck in as, hey, you're the general of the Inquisition. Yeah. Because you're a good priest or or you're a severe, whatever it is, is, hey, you're ordained. So obviously you can do this job. Yeah, it's kind of kind of like the the old joke of like, uh, you know, I'm a virgin by choice, but not my choice. But it's like, I, I'm a priest by choice, but not really my choice. Weren't a whole yeah. lot of other options. I just said yes to God, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm doing my best, man. And That's not right. a knock towards priest. It, it's just a, uh, you know, our, we don't have enough priests to necessarily pull the best. Yeah, no, understood. Not not a deep uh, candidate pool you're pulling from. But, Correct. Uh, but yeah, To no. be the general of the Inquisition. Yeah, no, well, uh, six is the fifth, uh... Straight up made a life out of, like, serving in the church. Like I said, he got in at nine. So, really didn't have uh, not a whole lot of other career prospects. But, yeah. So, uh, so like I said, uh, yeah. They called him back because he was so severe at the Inquisition, which is, is something to... That's a rough one. Um, so, eventually, he went back to Rome, um, and he was made a cardinal by Pope Pius V, who was one of the ones who, you know, found him. Um, and really at this point, there's not a lot, like, uh, not a lot documented where he's, you know, he's essentially just a cardinal. Um, and eventually it comes along, um, he becomes Pope. So between this point and his papacy, there's not a lot, except there, he was kind of forced into retirement because, you know, Pope Pius V uh, was Pope when he was a cardinal. Um, and then two years later he died. Um, and the guy who was next, uh, Gregory the Thirteenth, uh, was like a political rival, and so he was kind of forced out of a job. So he just like lived on his estate in Italy and wrote <laughs> books. Um, but eventually, you know, he was elected pope in uh, around April of 1585. Uh, he chose the name Sixtus the Fifth to uh, honor Sixtus the Fourth, who was also a Franciscan monk. So uh, now begins the wild ride of Sixtus V's papacy. So, he got in, Gregory XIII apparently left the Papal States in a bit of a mess. Uh, crime was a massive problem, and there were very little funds left in the Papal coffers. Uh, and so, to fix this, uh, and to fix the crime, he had thousands of bandits and thieves executed. Uh, mm. Approximately 5,000. Jeez. Uh, in those, what was the population, I wonder, of that time? That seems like it had to have been a good chunk of it. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was a, it was definitely a, a non-zero percentage. Like, I mean, it was, it was a significant amount. Um, apparently that reduced the crime a good bit. Hmm. Um, and the papal states were peaceful yet again. Um, and according to one historian, uh, there were more heads on pikes outside the Pont de San Angelo than melons for sale at the marketplace. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So there's that. Um, and also clergy and nuns were executed if they broke their vow of chastity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, uh, with, you, you don't follow inside church politics as closely as I do, but I, I'm ready to bring that one back. All right. Well, I, I called the hot take too early. Uh, <laughs> bring it on. So, as for the, so that was crime. So for the finances, uh, 6th the 5th, he uh, levied heavy taxes that actually built up a, a really good surplus for the church. And uh, he, like, banked a lot of that for, like, a, any other massive expensive, like, because, again, this is back in the 1500s when, uh, the, yeah, the papacy was kind of, the papal states were kind of a, a sovereign nation in and of themselves. So, like, you know, for defense of the land, what have you. Yeah. Um, but those heavy taxes... Uh, took so much money out of circulation that it actually caused financial pe- problems for the people. Oh, like, yeah. Jeez. Um, and then that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. You'd think, right. Um, and again, this is why I'm doing this guy. It, it is just something. 
and again, he was only in, in power for five years. Uh, so, again, I mentioned the massive surplus uh, that he wrecked the economy. But he then spent a massive amount of that money on public works, uh, and some of which you are familiar with. Uh, he built new aqueducts into Rome, uh, bringing a lot of water to like places, poor areas who hadn't had water before. Uh, he also reorganized the city into what we know it as today, like the long straight streets that are wide, like uh, having like the, the scenic views and what have you. He organized all that. Uh, he also completed the dome of St. Peter's Basilica. He fixed the facade of the Basilica of St. John Lateran. He fixed a chapel in St. Mary Major, and he erected four obelisks, including the one in St. Peter's Square. So, yeah. so he is... His legacy has lived on, whether you knew it or not. Mm -hmm. But he really didn't care about antiquities. So to complete all of this, he destroyed a lot of old stuff uh, to use his raw material, uh, (laughs) including like Trajan's column and and, uh, column of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, He essentially chopped them off and used them as bases (laughs) for other things. He also uh, had the Minerva uh, statue there uh, converted into essentially like Mary. Like, so... So yeah, wow. Uh, he also declared the authenticity of the new Bible. Uh, at the time, there really wasn't a, a good standard one. Uh, so I believe oh, yeah. it was following the Council of Trent. Is like, boom, hey, this is the new Bible. This is the translation we're going with. He de- declared that it was to be considered an uh, as the authentic edition recommended by the Council of Trent, and should be taken as a standard of all future reprints, and that all copies should be corrected by it. And again, following this quote, continuing the quote, uh, this edition was not to be reprinted for 10 years except at the Vatican. Uh, and after that, any edition must be compared with the Vatican edition. So not even the smallest particle should be altered, added, or removed under pain of the greater excommunication. Yeah. Well, and if you see some of the translations of the Bible that are out there today, mm-hmm. he... he he knew at that point of like this could get wildly out of hand if we just let it print. However, <laughs> but yep, bring it. That edition proved to be so defective that it was withdrawn <laughs> and it was replaced two years later. <laughs> I love this guy. Yeah, and now let's move on to his foreign policy, which is a whole thing. See, uh, and and again, this is why the Pope's running more than just the church doesn't they're not the experts in anything yeah <laughs> yeah no it, it's just, like i said wild ride but yeah so for as for his foreign policy uh six has entertained fantastic ambitions such as uh the transport of the holy sepulcher to uh italy which is like the the original church there in uh israel uh the conquest of egypt uh the accession of his nephew to the throne of france and uh, the annihilation of the Turks. Yeah, he Makes also sense. he also renewed the excommunication of the Queen of England. Renew, renewed the excommunication of the Queen yeah. of England. Yeah, yeah, I had Good. a chance to withdraw it and like made a big lengthy thing about like ah now you, you were still heavily excommunicated. That was actually <laughs> uh, Queen Elizabeth the uh, first. Nice. And then uh, as for Catholic for Catholic doctrine. Uh, he had a, actually had a lot of interesting takes, and this was uh, one of the things I, I want to talk about because it's something I hadn't learned, I hadn't, I didn't know about. Um, so he extended the penalty of excommunication to contraception and abortion, um, which had previously only been used for homicide. So under the sixth is the fifth, excommunications are only really given for abortions that happen after the quickening. So like whenever uh, the baby starts kicking. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the thought was before there was like a broad agreement that life was present at conception, but they really weren't sure about what kind of life until the quickening. Um, Before that, before the quickening, the general thought was, and actually follows like Aristotle's uh, thoughts, was that uh, before the quickening, there was only a vegetative soul, uh, not really human soul. So aborting the child before the quickening was still the sin of abortion, but it wasn't properly a homicide because you haven't deprived hmm. that being of a human soul. Yeah. He also tried to introduce the Old Testament penalty for adultery, which is death. Uh, 
and that failed. <laughs> hmm. but, but he eventually died of the deadliest disease known to man, uh, malaria, uh, in 1590. And he is the last pope to take the name Sixtus. And I thought that was weird until I thought about his title, Sixtus V, because no one wants to be Sixtus <laughs> the Sixth. The Sixth. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that's Pope Sixtus V. Interesting. Okay. So he, he is definitely both doctor, doctrinally and uh, physically had an impact on the church as we know it today. Yeah, I mean... Because it, it is still... Uh, abortion still excommunication automatically. Is it the really? Cha- yes. The only change to that is uh, because it's become such a problem in today's day and age, A, you don't have to go to the bishop to get that scrubbed. You can be brought back into the graces of the church, go into a confession, and the priest can remove that excommunication. Most excommunications requires a bishop's uh, uh, annulment to be able to to get back into the, the church. But yes, abortion is automatic excommunication from the church. And what was the other one? Uh, contraception. Contraception. I don't think contraception's... Contra, depending on the contraception... It's it's automatic excommunication as well, Dep- because there's like Plan B is abort. It's basically still just if it's an abortative abortative, if it's an abortion type yeah. of contraception, then it's automatic excommunication. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Wow. And then if it's just anything else, then it's you just can't go to communion. You're not excommunicated. You're you are barred from communion though until rectifying that situation huh. and going to confession. Interesting. Just like any other sin, though. Yeah. Huh. Not to make light of sin, because sin, you know, equals death and hell, but... Well, that is part of, the, you know, the podcast, letting the, letting the folks know about things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, as always, uh, if y'all have any questions, concerns, or topics y'all want to cover, or if you want to give Colby a new computer, please reach out to uh, <laughs> piouspig at gmail.com. My computer works. Yeah, it's well, user error. Apparently not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we won't make it another month between the uh, two, but we'll, we'll be drip-feeding you some content, don't worry. Certainly, and and as we uh, we get back in it, we're about to get to Advent and mm. Christmas time. If you have not gone to Mass and you have not gone to confession in however long, go to confession and then go to Mass and get ready for Advent. Go to those four, you know, get your, get yourself geared up. I'll give you a few weeks. Go to confession the week of Thanksgiving, then go to all the Advent Masses leading up to Christmas, because that is a great time to start renewing your faith, starting getting back into the, the, the swing of things, because those Masses are just such joyful preparation Masses for what we're doing. So that is my challenge to you, is start start thinking about when you're going to go to confession, hyping yourself up, getting back there, and, and get to Mass on uh November 30th or whatever the day is, Sunday uh, 27th, November 27th. There you go. All right. Thanks for listening, y'all. We will see you next week. We will make it. Probably. Barring some terrible thing to happen upon my family again. But we plan to be here. (laughs) Till next time. All right. Peace.